Hi everyone, welcome to the Yam Podcast. My name is Nahal Harbin. I'm super excited to welcome you back to the Yam Podcast. In today's episode, I am interviewing my aunt, my Zandai. For those of you who don't know what the word Zandai means, it means the wife of your maternal brother, like uncle basically, maternal uncle. And I'm blessed to have three Zandais in my life. My aunt has an amazing story to begin with. And in this episode, we just basically briefly, very briefly covered so many different parts of her life, particularly in motherhood, because that's what the topic was on. But her life is so rich and I would say fulfilling, but just fulfilled. Like she's like there she's like at the golden ages where she gets to like just focus on her grandchildren and just living life really in vancouver bc so for anyone who lives in vancouver do leave a shout out for her in the comments below in the blog i think she would love that and if anyone actually would like to seek her help in terms of like therapy like i highly recommend it she's amazing i talk to her all the time so yeah Let's just get into the episode and hear what she's all about. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Yam Podcast. My name is Nahal Hachbin and I am your host. And today we have a very special guest, my very own auntie. And the way she is my aunt, specifically, she is a Zandai. So she is my mother's brother's wife. And she has an extraordinary life education and all these things. And today we're going to talk about many different things, but we're mostly going to focus on motherhood, but I'm sure we're going to talk about other things as well. So before we begin, Zandai Jun, let us know what you would like the audience to know about you and introduce yourself, essentially. All right. My name is Nahi and I was born in Iran and I lived in Iran for I think about 25 years of my life and then left Iran to continue my education, hoping to go back and work in Iran, but the circumstances changed and the regime in Iran changed and our parents told us that it is not safe for us to go back to Iran. So we we have been in different countries. We have, but mostly, mostly we have lived in Africa. I think in total, it has probably been over 30 years of our life that we have lived in Africa more than any other country in the world. So and, which countries um, in Africa were you living in? We lived in Nigeria for three years and in uh, Malawi, a southern part of uh, Africa for, yeah, 30 years. We still have connection. We still go back and forth. But, but now we are retired. Mainly we live in Vancouver where our three children and uh, grandchildren live. And I thank God for this blessing to be close to them. You recently just hit an age mark. Are you open to sharing with the group what age that is? Oh my God, this is an age that I never imagined I will reach. I'm <laughs> 70. <laughs> 70. Why did you think yeah. you, you would not reach it? As a child, I remember not liking old age. Mm -hmm. And I remember at an uncle's funeral, I told myself that I don't want to live more than 50. Because mm -hmm. at that time, 50 was oh. a, an old age. <laughs> and of course, it came, 50 came and 60 came. And I could not believe that I'm already 70 and I'm still around and kicking. Do you feel 70 though? Do you feel like now that you're at 70, do you feel like that's an age that's really old? No, I don't think you will ever feel the age. The body keeps on reminding you. Yes. But, <laughs> but you're never old. You, Or at least I think you can be as young as you want in your head. You know, you... Yes. Uh, so I 
don't think that I'm old, but sometimes when I'm going to take a project on, I have to think twice, whether this is something that my body can cooperate with me or I have to let it go. Do you have any examples of certain tasks or things that you do that you're like, oh, I need to actually think about how my body feels about this before I do it? Oh, no, I the things that I uh, can see happens a lot of time is in walking because I like walking. Mm. And sometimes I start off and I tell myself that, okay, I'm going to go circle the park and come back. And when, and sometimes I start going and then I keep telling myself that, oh, this is so nice. And, but on the way back, I'm so exhausted. And I tell myself, why do I do this? I know I can't do 12,000 steps in one go. Yeah, that's the situation. I can't remember another example right now, but... So I want to take us back to something you shared that I don't think a lot of my audience or people my age really are aware of what happened in Iran, specifically around certain dates. And if you could enlighten the listeners of for someone who doesn't know anything about Iran what was the situation like there and how did it impact you and your family when the uh, new government took over of course it was an islamic republic and uh, one of the groups that they were not keen to have in Iran were the bahais and uh, and Baha'is are who? Baha'is are a, the largest religious minority in Iran. They form the largest religious minority in Iran. But the Baha'i faith is a new world religion, which is about 180 or 80 something years old. And uh, 78, I think. Nine, 178. Seven, yes, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And most of the Baha'i teachings are actually addresses the challenges of this age. Mm. And these are very modern, progressive teachings, which are not welcomed by a very fanatic government. Things so what are like some examples equality, like? Yes, things like equality of men and women, universal, universal compulsory education, the solution to the economic, spiritual solution to the economic problems of the world, and the list can go on. So how did that regime affect you personally and then your family? So in the beginning, they started to harass a lot of Baha'is, and uh, they didn't want the Baha'is in Iran to have any Baha'i administration. So the Baha'is do not have a religious leaders as such. The Baha'is do not have a priest or a mullah to guide them. The Baha'is have Baha'i administration. So one of the first things that they did, they canceled all the Baha'i administration because they said that this is not legal. And Baha'is are obedient to the governments of the time. So all the Baha'i administration canceled. And that includes a lot of issues that the Baha'is would take to their administration, marriage, death, other economic problems or social issues that they are facing, the challenges. So when there was no Baha'i administration to Mm. address those, the Baha'is started to help each other address Mm. those uh, problems. For example, if the children were banned from going to school, Mm. the young people started teaching the children in their homes or Mm -hmm. if so generally trying to help the community. Mm. And uh, so they started arresting and persecuting and executing the Baha'is who were involved or who were of influence to the community. Mm. So these were the members of the Baha'i administrative bodies, 
and those that they actually saw potential in them, potential of being able to influence others. And that was a period of time in the hardest time was in the early 80s when Mm -hmm. they started arresting a lot of Baha'is and in the city that my parents live, who I think we heard that they were very fanatic individuals heading the departments of security or whatever they call it. I don't remember now. And uh, It's not the Savak? Is, is it the Savak? No. Savak was the time of Shah. Shah. So after, right. yeah. That, so this is in this regime. Mm-hmm. During this, so this regime. Is, so the regime happened in 1979. And shortly after that, immediately, almost immediately after that, yeah. going by the dates, it's like, that's when the persecution of Baha'is started. Exactly. In the 80s. So in, uh, I think, late, late 1982, my, the Revolutionary Guards raided my family, my, my home, my, the home of my parents, and they arrested my parents and my sister. Your youngest leaving sister. Behind, so- mm-hmm. Leaving behind the youngest sister. Oh, so the yeah, second so, youngest. Yeah. So they were arrested. They stayed in, they were imprisoned for almost, I think, eight months. And um, then they were executed. And their crime was to, because um, they were a threat to the security uh, of the nation. And basically because they were Baha'is and they refused to recant their fate. So this is your mother who is executed, your father who is executed, and your second youngest sister. And you are, of all the siblings, the oldest one. Then you have... No. No? I have an older brother and I have a younger brother. And then... And at the time that this happened, I was a 32-year-old young mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And in fact, when I was pregnant with uh, our second born, that was the time that they were arrested and they were in prison. And that is how we named our daughter. Her name means wish. Wish. And that was a wish that that Mm -hmm. we had that they would be released. I didn't know and that. in fact, one of the things that when, since the subject is motherhood, mm-hmm. I do remember that when I did hear about what has happened, and of mm-hmm. course I was physic, I just, all of a sudden I became physically so sick and yet I was breastfeeding mm. and, uh, and my, and our daughter was, I think at the time, five months old. Yeah or six months old and I kept thinking that oh my god am I what is this is this is she breastfeeding on a poisonous milk (laughs) yeah that's crazy but did your milk not like I would imagine a traumatic event like that with losing both your parents and your younger sister that would stop the milk right there cut it dry that's what Uh, the biology usually does with trauma like that yes the only thing is that the mothers are incredible in saving the children mm-hmm. and in that they are programmed Sac- for that mm-hmm. and at that time in um, we were in nigeria Mm. And there was an issue with with formula, or there wasn't uh, it wasn't readily available. And mm. for a little baby, mm. I you don't want to just take the risk of finding whatever you find in the yes. market. So exactly, it was a difficult situation <laughs> as well <laughs> to think that okay, uh, what are my choices? I really have to just get it together and and see how how we can move i know that we started solid food earlier than we thought that mm-hmm. was one of the reasons to supplement was it in your thought process that your milk could stop because of this 
grief that you were no it wasn't the thing that it would stop it was the thing for me it was that how good it is yes because i'm so sad how good it is for the baby. But it's so interesting now that you see Zazu, which is what I call Arzu. She is a counselor and a therapist and incredibly empathetic and emotionally very acutely attuned to people. So you guys were in Nigeria at the time, but I know my older cousin, my oldest cousin, is was born in the Philippines. So what happened there? What was the before phase of that? We, Philippines is where we were studying. You were studying we were there? Doing, yes, we were doing our education in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And that and then, is where, yeah, our firstborn was born there. And then after that, we moved to Nigeria, which was the very few countries we could get a visa to because we were carrying Iranian passports. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I think after a few years in Nigeria, we the political situation of the country wasn't as stable and our Iranian passports were not being renewed. So we were stateless. And that is when we found opportunity for the Baha'is who wanted to emigrate to uh, Canada or Australia, and we chose to immigrate to Canada. Mm-hmm. And so we stayed in Canada for a few years, and we became Canadian citizens. And it was after that that we, having lived in third world countries, we felt that you could do a lot more in a third world country or in a developing country than you could in a country like Canada, where you really have to struggle, especially when your degree is not from here. Mm. So we decided that we wanted to move to a country where we can be of more service. And while looking for various options, there were opportunities in Malawi that opened up and Mm -hmm. we moved there. So in Nigeria, what were you guys doing? Were you working there? Yes, I was teaching in a college of education and my husband was uh, working as a dentist in the government hospital. So he was working as a dentist in Nigeria? Yes. Interesting. Okay. So Malawi is the longest time in portion of Africa that I know you to be a part of. That's where I would go and visit you guys when we were younger, the first time was 1995, where actually my grandmother, my uncle's mother and my mom's mother is buried in Malawi, which is a huge sense of pride for me as a Persian girl to know that my grandmother is buried in African soil. That to me just blows my mind. So that makes me really happy. So tell us more about Malawi. What was it like living in Malawi, mothering in Malawi? So in Nigeria, you had two children already. And then you guys went to Malawi. And you were working... Then, all- no, after Nigeria, we, we came to... Canada, that's right. Yes. That's yeah. where the kids got older. And how old yeah. were they when you guys moved to Malawi? I think they were six and ten or... Seven and eleven, yeah. Wow. Yes, Ma- Malawi is a beautiful country. From a geographical side of it, it is such a beautiful country. It is green and it is it is like a tropical country, and yet it is it has the mildest climate. Mm. That uh, it never gets really hot, that mm. hot, and it never gets that cold so Mm -hmm. very mild climate sometimes you forget that years are passing by unlike countries where there are four seasons and you know that it is there it is almost all the time green and beautiful and people very friendly and very Mm -hmm. warm so I think it was really pleasant I think we 
had a lot of wonderful memories from Malawi. And well, children luckily were in an international school mm-hmm. and uh, they had the opportunity to get to become familiar with friends who, whose background from, was from all over the world. So mm-hmm. they have friends that were American, Korean, British, German, and, and it, was, it gave them, a, I think, it gave them a sense of world citizenship because they knew different cultures. They knew, they knew that they had friends in all corners of the world. So it was good. And it was quite a well-protected community in the sense that since it wasn't, since there wasn't a lot of entertainment opportunities for the mm-hmm. kids to mm-hmm. enjoy, most of these entertainments were happening in the homes. In mm-hmm. the homes, the pool parties for the kids and uh, playing games. And so there was a lot of really opportunities for them to uh, interact with their friends in the safety mm-hmm. of homes, which was, mm-hmm. I think, an ideal for parents where they know that really a lot of problems that many mothers in may have about kids mm-hmm. bullying other kids or, or influencing them in negatively or doing things that were not uh, safe for them, the, these were taken care. Of course, having said that, that is how we felt. I am mm-hmm. not sure if the kids mm-hmm. may come up and say, oh, no, we did this. Or we did. <laughs> Knowing your as, kids, they probably would. <laughs> at least as parents, I think yeah. that we knew that it is not going to be, they won't get into Too really much a, serious, a serious trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like you as a mother being in on African soil with your children? What, did you have support like other mothers? Did you have like a nanny? We could have a nanny, but we didn't. The kids mm-hmm. were the kids were at an age where they didn't need a nanny. And even when we had last born in Malawi, there wasn't any need for nanny. But of course, the great thing about a lot of developing countries is that there is manpower to help you out so there Mm -hmm. is a you can have a housekeeper this is a possibility to help you with the house chores and to help you with cooking and cleaning and and also I think that always I had felt that I have to be available for the kids so a lot of time I would juggle my time so that I'm available, I'm able to drive them to school or drive them to this uh, course or that stay, pick them up at school from odd times, one at two, one at four. But that was part of something that I would enjoy to do, mm-hmm. even though there were possibility of having a driver to do that. But mm-hmm. I wanted to do it myself and mm-hmm. I always gave that a priority. Mm-hmm. And usually when I was, I didn't have a full-time job as such. So in the beginning, I was teaching a number of part-time at a college of um, nursing. And then after that, I was doing consultancies with various agencies. And those consultancies was mostly my time was uh, flexible. I could work in the morning and then I could work in the evening and then I have in the middle, I have time for the family and for the kids. And and of course, there were uh, other mothers around who, almost in the same situation. I, In the term of support, I guess that is how the support that we could give each other was that, for example, oh, pick up please when you pick up your son pick my son up too or 
support in okay they um, they want to go to this weekend activity are you going to allow him or her to go and then we coordinate is it safe so this was the kind of support that we were giving each other i remember asking you before maybe that whether or not your mother not being around or not being alive when you were at the early stages of your motherhood, whether you wish she was there or whether or not that influenced you. And I think I remember you saying, I don't know if I'm mistaken, that you were saying that your mother's personality was not of such to just be overbearing or to tell you how to deal with your children or stuff. So it wasn't really like a need or desire that you had. Yeah, yeah, I don't know under what con- what context I had mentioned that, but I think especially when you are giving birth to a mm-hmm. child, mm. that is the time that you really want your mother to be around. Mm-hmm. That is definitely in any case you want because there is no one that you could be as comfortable dealing with your own physical and emotional issues mm-hmm. while taking care of a little baby with when you have never done anything like this so definitely mm-hmm. uh, for the first uh, born definitely this is a great uh, missing you miss the opportunity that your mom was not around And she I was alive. Don't... She was alive during yeah. when you had your firstborn, but she was in Iran. Yes. So she wasn't yes, there with you couldn't. in Philippines. Yeah. yeah. No, she couldn't make it at the time. And uh, for the first, second born, she was still alive, but she was in prison. Mm. Uh, she couldn't. But so I guess that it is always a desire that uh, mm-hmm. for because your mother is the one who listens to you who does not judge you who hears you mm. and who can calm you by just being there by just mm. being present so True. i guess this missing mom or missing dad or this is not something that is even only happening at the time that the children are small or when you're parenting this happens yeah. all the time even at my age now there are times that i think that i need to talk to my mom mm. and that is the time that and i do that so i mm. have learned i have learned to be open to communicating with them mm. and asking them to help me with different things and i strongly believe that they do So, did you, did you so, just see my face lit up as you said that? Like literally the sum popped out just for you to say that. I feel like that was just like a confirmation of your mom right there to be like, I'm right here. Yeah. So truly, I feel this strongly that all throughout my life, mm. even though they have not been physically there, I mm. know that they have been there. They have been in my life. I know that they have helped in many situations. The help has been miraculous that there is no other explanation. Can you share some experiences um, that you've had of that? And I know you've had some amazing dreams as well of them. And I don't know if you would be willing to share some of them. Yeah, one, one of them, which was to me a, a kind of... Uh, an eye opener for me to what am i thinking is that i was dreaming that your the mother of your other uh, zandai who had passed away uh, had come to visit her daughter who's the mother mahnaz's mom yes okay yeah. so uh, in my dream she had come to visit her daughter and i went mm. to her and i said oh you're here to visit your daughter how wonderful why my parents are not visiting me and she mm. said oh you want to talk to them and i said yes of course and then uh, she had something like a remote control and ding 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 and, and my parents and my sister they all three of them appeared oh wow 
And then I went and hugged them. And my mom said that, did you need us for something? Did you want us? Did you? And I said, yes, I miss you. I want to be with you. Yeah. And my mom looked at me surprised that we are always with you. Don't you feel us? We are mm. always with you. Yeah. And it was such a confirmation of this thought that, oh, mm. yes, they are always with me. And then I, I remember that on, after this dream, I started thinking about my life. And I started to remembering the times that I was hoping for them to be helping me and things work mm. out well. And then mm. I knew that, yes, that they is were actually, it. They were there. They, they have been there and they are with me. Mm. I know it. And I do, anytime that I feel that I miss them, I talk to them. In my meditation, in my prayers, I talk to them. Are there any other dreams or any other experiences that came up? I have had a lot of dreams that has helped me to cope. I think hmm. early on, I think maybe during the first year after they had they had been executed, or I remember dreaming that my sister Roya was on an examination table um, operating operating theater on a operating in an operating room bed and everyone was saying that she's dead mm. and I was horrified and I would put my ears on her heart and I, I would hear throbbing and I would get her pulse and she had a pulse and I keep telling them no, she hasn't died. She has a pulse. Her heart is beating. Mm. She hasn't died. And everyone would look at me as if I have gone crazy and I, <laughs> I'm in denial and I cannot yeah. accept this. Yeah. And I was so angry that they just cannot believe that she's alive. Then all of a sudden, it was my mom who, who told me that she's alive, but detach yourself from her body. And for me, that was Ooh. the most sensible thing that I had heard, that <laughs> what I have been attaching myself was to her body, to mm. her physical presence, to her being a young 21, 22-year-old girl who have not experienced life and has her life was shortened, whereas that wasn't the case she lives her spirit is alive of course but mm. I have been attaching myself to her body so mm. that was for me that was very healing in a way mm. to know that this is uh, that I shouldn't attach myself to the physical existence mm. they are there they are alive as you were saying that there was a bird that flew by and to me whenever I see signs of the bird kingdom is whenever souls like appear and things like that so I can see your your mother is shining from the sun and your sister is <laughs> flying in the birds like <laughs> yeah tell us a little yeah. bit about your work in Malawi can you share with us a couple stories of your clients? Of course, not mentioning names as this is the therapist code not to talk about it. But I think just for the audience who is perhaps majority of Western listeners, what would I would love to personally also get a deeper dive into what were some of the issues that would come up? Because I know that a majority of your clients were local. They were not the expats that were there, but it was the local. Oh, no. The opposite. Yes, majority of my clients were the expatriates. Interesting. In Africa, in many cultures in Africa, they have a very strong support system. And that support system is really helpful yeah. in uh, helping them. 
So for example, when a couple marries, before they marry, the elders from both sides, they get together and they form, it's like a Alliance. counseling committee. Yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and tell this couple that any time in your lives that you have problems, you should come to us mm. and we will help you sort this out. Mm. So it is the therapy in that sense is uh, really a modern thing over there. That's and true. those who would, the clients that I had, the local clients that I had, were mostly either have been overseas and studied, or they were quite educated people who knew uh, what therapy means. And there wasn't mm. any a stigma attached stigma. to it to go to see a, a therapist. But I can't just recall now any kind of cases too. <laughs> you were saying before how uh, when you hear other people's story, you learn the most. And I want to know, the because I am also a therapist of, of some kind, but I would not only agree with you that when you consistently deal with clients and you hear people's stories, you really become refined. And if there was anything that was not refined in you will become refined after that call, after that thing. And so there's a, I know for therapists, there's a deep inner practice. I would like to know as a therapist, what were one of the bigger challenges that you had to overcome within you? Maybe it wasn't the client's issue that was so thing, but what they showed you really triggered something in you that you had to overcome. And how did you go about doing that? Did you have a therapist ever? Did you go to therapy? No, <laughs> no. And, uh, and I know that I think and nowadays, when you study, you really have to have the experience yourself. Yes. But, but for me, I have never been in a, or at least before, I wasn't in a country where therapists were available all over. For example, mm -hmm. when all this happened and I knew that I was dealing with this grief, there wasn't anyone. So I would go to my friend. I had mm -hmm. friends. I would go to my friend and I just maybe not even uh, talk about it, but I knew that they understand me and their presence would help me. Family and <laughs> friends, that was it. Mm. In the, I don't recall anything that was challenged, but because a lot of time my challenge was to make my client see themselves mm. from an outside point of view. Or even or to understand. I was going to say just to, even from the perspective of God, see them through God's eyes. Yes. And also to appreciate the a process of any, because I believe that in any mental challenge, we go through a process mm. and to sometimes acknowledge that, okay, this is a process that, for example, you're grieving over something, whether it is a lost relationship, whether it is loss of a loved one or whatever, to make them understand that stay with the process, let it take its time, don't be in a hurry mm. to to get results, because I feel that in our today's world, mm -hmm. we are brainwashed to take painkillers for any pain. Mm -hmm. Whereas we want to experience the pain a little bit to know how mm -hmm. to pay attention to it and how to treat it. But mm -hmm. as soon as we have a pain, here are a few pills of painkillers to dull the pain. Mm. And I know that a lot of issues that today's society is dealing with as far as drugs, alcohol is concerned is 
goes back to that, that we want to feel good instantly, right away. We don't want to stay with a pain and we don't want to deal with it. Mm. So I think that has been a challenge. And so for me, that was something that I learned to try to reflect on it. I Mm. learned from my uh, clients that... How to be with pain. How to be, to, yes, how to stay with pain, to reflect on it and mm. to see what is the best treatment for that kind of pain. Do I need to go for a meditative walk? Mm. Do I need to say, uh, to sit and say prayers? What is it that helped me? Or should I just sleep on it and hope that the next day, I'm going to feel better. So these are some of the things that uh, I have learned. Also, it is always human relations. It is uh, always complicated. Mm. And sometimes, and as a therapist, I know that I should have been detached from feelings Mm. about, about my clients' problems. Sometimes I couldn't shake that off. So I'm not either. Um, I can't either. Yeah. <laughs> I will cry with them if they cry. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that, for example, I would usually my sessions were 45 minutes to, to an hour because more than that, I believe it can be overwhelming for a client and for myself as well. Mm. However, I remember a case of one one father, a European man mm. who had an accident mm. on the highway mm. where he was driving home on a highway from another city to another city. Mm. And at night from nowhere, of course, in, in Malawi, the roads are very dark. You All mm. you have is your high beam and mm-hmm. a child jumps in front of the car wanting to go from one side of the road to the other one and and of course so this was an eight-year-old child and this man was an was someone who did not believe in god and or Mm. in the next world Mm. and had the hardest time of his life And he couldn't, he had, he was feeling so bad, even cuddling his own eight-year-old because he felt so guilty. And I remember that we were sitting and talking about it. Wait, one second. So did he hit the eight-year-old child and kill them? Is that what happened? Is that, am I understanding the story correctly? Yes. Okay. Yes. And of course, this was at night. He carried the body to the nearest place where uh, to see if he can be helped. But uh, the child had died uh, on the spot. Mm. But anyway, he stayed with the family. He paid for the funeral. He did Mm. whatever in his capacity Mm. to make it easier for the family. But and and uh, at the police station, they told him, go, go home don't worry about it it is it wasn't your fault he he just ran in this but he Mm. couldn't he had he was just a total mess and I remember sitting in one hour I look at my watch and I said no there is no way I can let this man go out Mm. that was the only say the only time that we had a two-hour session, two Mm. hours, really. And I had to go through a lot of issues related to this to Mm. make him feel a little bit better enough that he could go home and he could see, he could (laughs) start to process the healing over this issue. And Mm. uh, yeah, so a few years later, accidentally, I saw him in a party one of our friends introduced us and he's <laughs> uh, he lightened up and yeah the, the friend says oh do you know each other 
Yeah. And of course, I couldn't say anything. But yeah. Said, oh, she saved my life. Wow. <laughs> it made me feel so good that mm. because the intensity of her emotions at the time was really something that I could feel it and I couldn't let go. I couldn't let him go and say, okay, come back next week or come back. I just had to stay with him. And mm. okay. it's a good thing you probably yeah. didn't have a client after that. But yeah, that's crazy. I love that story. I think that story, sometimes things happen in our life that we don't really know. Accidents, especially, I think are really deep. I was actually, one of the issues that as a therapist, I am frequently at the moment dealing with is a lot of stomach pain. And there's a practice that I do where I go back and I find when was the first time that I had this pain. That's like the therapist code. That's the one of the processes that I teach other people is like, go back to the first memory that you've had this pain and then see what idea or thought formulated in your mind then and then correct it as to what actually happened like with your now grown brain. And so it's impossible to think of these things but accidents that happen that really can affect and impact like the rest of your life and your rest of your outlook and the rest of your things. So it's interesting how these events really shape and mold us. But I'm glad that man had you to be there in that moment where he was feeling the weakest and he was able to find solace and later on for you to even hear that he saved your life. I think that's like a blessing that we don't often hear as therapists as like what our words and how our words impacted other people. It's always nice to hear when they share their stories. Getting back about motherhood, mm. I always see that as a true joy. I know a lot of time it is difficult, but mm. it is a true joy. Mm. The love that one experience as a mother is a love that you cannot experience in any other form. Mm. And, and that is, I never thought before having any children, I never, mm. I wasn't ever one of those women who just their heart, heart melt for children. I like children, but mm. I wasn't just melting for them. Yeah, It wasn't like that. But when I became mother, then I, my heart melted for my children. Mm. And I was that trans, transforming, that mm -hmm. transformation that happened. I always thought that is such a blessing for mm. mothers to have that, to ensure that their children are protected, are safe. Mm. And I know that as mother in this nest of relationships, we all are bound to make mistakes. Mm. And that is all human. My children probably would start to criticize some of my doing but that's, I did my best mm -hmm. and I hope that they do their best for their kids mm. because it is a process mm -hmm. and your mom did your, did her best. Now, mm -hmm. maybe her best was not conducive to driving, yeah. but that was the best that she could she do did. at the uh, Absolutely. time. So to, uh, if I want to, to lament over my doing and focus mm -hmm. on that there is no benefit from it and I know I just have to know that I did my best and hope that they do their best for their kids because that is the process that we go through mm -hmm. and to me if the same way that I don't think that I should lament I don't think that the kids should lament about their parents doing this to them or doing that because to know that game. they did yes it is just escape route exactly because once you know that they did their best okay yes. now 
if you think that you're messed up because your mother did that or your father did that, now get over it and it start yeah. to <laughs> it start to become yourself because mm. maybe that will be harder if mm. if you have always believed that you're a mess because of that. But we mm. have had so many when we start to look, we have so many inspirational stories of mm. all these people who grew up in a very tight, very strict home situations, and yet they were able to overcome and achieve great things in life. Mm. So really accepting life for how it is mm. and doing our best is all we can expect from each other. So maybe we will have another point in time, but yeah, because I was thinking like, this was also, I was thinking that like, I didn't ask my mother also about grandmotherhood, even though she is a grandmother. And I was like, oh, that's a good topic that we need to circle back to because this is like all stages of motherhood. But maybe this will be something that like Yoga Avik Ma will get into a little bit more later on. Maybe this is something that the audience could let us know whether or not this is something that you want to know more about of the cycles of womanhood, like whether motherhood is one and maybe grandmotherhood could be another. So let us know in the comments below in the blog, whether or not that's something that you would like to see. So I think we'll end it here then. Thank you so much, Sendai, for your time and your wonderful shares. I think my family has characters and people in it with life experiences that are so rich that literally if I was just interview my own family alone that there would be so much to talk about and so thank you so much for actually giving the generations of the Maslin families one extra resource I'm sure they'll be if they watch this they'll probably learn so many things that they didn't know about you I didn't know that education was your primary thing at least like before doing therapy because that's where I know more of you from so yeah so many beautiful things we're learning but yeah we will end here and thank you um, yeah I'll see you in the next episode guys bye hope you guys enjoyed that my aunt is spectacular like she blows me away every time she speaks she has so much wisdom to share and if there's anything that touched you, please do leave us a little comment note in the blog section. We would love to hear from you. And if there's anything that you would like to have further information on, you can also leave it over there. And yeah, we'll, we will see you in the next episode. Bye!